Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Thanks for joining us on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, we're going to meet the author of A Different Ending. We're also going to find out about the upcoming Thanksgiving celebration with Friends of the Poor. It's the seventh year for the Edwardsville Warrior Tree Project. We'll get the details. But starting us off, the observance of Veterans Day earlier this week, an Army veteran, Sintra C.C. Mazik, is joining us. She was paralyzed from the waist down in a parachuting jump, but she tells us how she fought back and how the DAV helped along the way. I would like to thank you for having me on your show today and taking the time to remember the sacrifices of our brave veterans. And about myself, I was a sergeant first class with the United States Army, And initially, I joined the military for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to pay for college. Um, But over time, I came to love the Army and its mission. Um, I was with the 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. And after six years of jumping and becoming a jump master, on November 2003, doing a routine jump, the wind caused my parachute to collide with a fellow jumper. And I hit the ground. It was very, very hard. I didn't have time for a proper landing. And I was paralyzed on impact. And the doctors told my mom that I would never walk again. But when they told me that, all I could think about as a single mom of a one-year-old at the time, how that diagnosis would impact him. My son, Tristan, he was my reason to fight. And today he's 18 years old and off to college. So I am a very proud mom. Absolutely. Congratulations on Tristan and and being able to come back from, from such an injury. Now, yes, ma'am. just the fact that you were, you were parachuting makes my skin crawl because I can't even imagine being <laughs> up that high. But, <laughs> yes, adrenaline junkie. I love it. At whatever Is that what drew you to that? Um, you know what? It did not. It did not. Um, I, I was just focused. Honestly, when I joined, I was focused on college and graduating and becoming this fashion stylist that I wanted to be. Um, but my... Family, of course, is military, so I knew that they would pay for education. And when I went into my first unit, I just, I don't know, the the feeling that I got was just camaraderie and that the love that I felt. I fell in love with the Army and its mission. Like I stated earlier, I, I, I don't know, I guess I just had a knack for it, a heart for it, a spirit for it. When you went in with one and then decided to kind of shift gears just a little bit and then this happens to you that whole feeling must have been become very important to you absolutely yeah um it it was an awesome experience I'm gonna say it was tumultuous but awesome seeing the love and the support that I got from um family members and friends and uh, service organizations like DAV, um, Disabled American Veterans, they have really, really supported me through this um, 
tumultuous times. Let's talk a little bit about that, because, again, I'm sure that, you know, at one point in time, Cece never thought that she'd have anything to do with disabled American veterans. But now, (laughs) now here you are. So, again, give us an idea, because, you know, so many people hear about DAV, so many people hear about veterans that that have these these things occur. But from your perspective, Cece. You know, and not only that, but you're a woman, so that yes, in itself, that's in itself is 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 quite sometimes a challenge as well. So all of this just came together, and and now here you are. Yes, DAV has been a pillar. It's a the leading nonprofit organization that provides veterans with a lifetime of support, and not also not only the veterans, their families as well. And of course, you can go to DAV.org for more information. I mean, anything from educational benefits to employment. They cover like a whole slew of um, resources that are available for our veterans. And is it also true that you have also taken part in the Paralympics? It is true. It is true. Um, It was another important part in my rehabilitation process. Um, it just proved to me that physical disability did not bar the doors to my freedom. So, yes, I went on and I competed in the 2012 Paralympic trials where I won the gold medal in the javelin. That was my discipline. Wow. And that gold medal, yes, that gold medal earned me a spot on the Paralympic track and field team for the 2012 Paralympic Games in London. And it was such a liberating experience to put on another uniform representing my country when mine was cut so short, you know. So just putting on that uniform representing my country once again, it just felt so amazing. Wow. Not only are you jumping from planes, now you're throwing javelins? I am. Yes, ma'am. That is, in, and yes. what, what does your son think about all this? You know, children, at first he <laughs> thought it was cool, but he was like, okay, yeah, that's just what my mommy does. <laughs> that's it. That's my mommy. And, and you also, you also were able to finish college. That's correct. I went back to school and I got my bachelor's from the University of South Carolina in sociology with a minor in women's studies. Cece, I, you are just, you're amazing. And, and I've only had, I've only had five minutes to talk to you and I, and I, I get chills thinking about everything that you've went through. So give us a little bit of exactly what DAV, how you've, how, what you've got from them and how you are now able to encourage others, whether they are in this frame or not, but if they run into any kind of these life-altering situations, I would want to sit down and talk to you. Oh, thank you. Um, Like I said, first of all, you know, uh, find a great support system um, and a great organization like DAV. Uh, And DAV actually helped me not only in my education, um, with my son's education as well, and learning about the benefits that we've earned Um, They also have hooked me up with women retreats. So, I mean, just anything underneath the sun, DAV will help you with. It has been 
such a liberating experience to work with DAB and to actually be an ambassador for them. Well, you are the ultimate ambassador. I congratulate you again. Thank you for your service. Hugs to your son. And hopefully, hopefully we'll (laughs) be hearing you uh, again soon um, in uh, some way, shape or form, because I think somebody needs to uh, grab onto you and put you out in the forefront because you're awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. For some, honoring veterans is not just on Veterans Day. Karen DeCleck says it's the seventh year for the Edwardsville Warrior Tree Project. I started this thing in 2014. My son was in the Marine Corps. Uh, He joined in 2012, and uh, there were a few Christmases he was able to come home for Christmas, and other Christmases he couldn't come home, and neither could his brothers. So... I made a Christmas tree at home honoring those who couldn't come home for the holidays just from his unit and his in his basic training and everything. And uh, it became a big hit online because uh, I posted pictures online to play the tag your Marines because uh, he'd be home for Christmas. It became a huge hit. And before I knew it, the Marines I, I had on the tree were contacting me, asking me to add their brothers and asking me to add you know, other members and other branches. So I, I suddenly I started having sailors and airmen and, and soldiers and, and Marines all on this little three foot tree. And in your house, I made a comment. Yeah. At my house, <laughs> at my house, I had over 300 names on a three foot tree. And I made a comment on Facebook. I said, mama needs a bigger tree. And uh, someone told me they suggested, why don't you go down to uh, Edwardsville city council and see what you can do. And rest is history. Now I got a bigger tree. 300 names just in that time span. You did it. And now it's its seventh year. Seventh year of it being out there that we've been lighting up the tree every year, decorating it, having a veteran from the audience light the tree. We always surprise someone. It's about them. It's not about me. It's about our veterans and our service members who can't always make it home for the holidays. And that's what this tree is about, is what it represents. It still <laughs> takes mom to get everything together. Oh, I, I, I guess I put it together, yes, but it's not my tree. It's their tree. I never served, so. Well, I thank you for your service because this is quite the project. Now, when is this event? And it's a little bit different this year. We usually have it a whole weekend. Uh, But this year, because of the pandemic, we're going to do it all in one day. We're doing it on Sunday, November 22nd from 12 till 3 o'clock. Masks will be required. We'll have hand sanitizer stations and uh, we'll be practicing social distancing at the event. So that's how we're going to do it this year. It's going to be a little bit smaller, I think, than usual, but it kind of has to be because of because of COVID. Where is it? Uh, This is in Edwardsville, Pennsylvania. It's at Veterans Park right on Main Street here. It's on the corner of Main and, and Church Street. See our tree right in the center of the park. The Black Diamond American Legion. You're going to have we Santa. Do. You're going. What else? Give right. us the rundown. Well, we have we have uh, Black Diamond American Legion. They're going to be doing. Um, we're, they're going to raise the flag for us and and uh, do the Pledge of Allegiance and everything. Then we have we have American Legion Post Six Five Five in Larksville. They're coming and they're going to be doing the Honor Guard. They're going to be doing the Twenty One Gun Salute, playing taps. The recruiters that come down from Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines. One lucky recruiter we don't know who yet this year is going to play Sergeant Santa for us, like he always does. 
We're hoping that we still get a fire truck for him to arrive in. If we have a parade this year, uh, it's going to be a, just a small parade. We're just following what the Veterans Day, the Wyoming Valley Veterans Day Parade is doing. You are having a guest speaker. theme this year is uh, coronavirus and the military, how it affects the military these days. Um, from care packages to whether or not they can deploy to certain countries, if it's making their deployments longer, however it affects our, our men and women overseas. He is uh, Lucius Washington, the commander of AMVET 459. He's going to be our guest speaker this year. Well, that's a very appropriate topic, uh, as you said, even as far as care packages, because with mm-hmm. the holidays, that's what mm-hmm. people are waiting for. We're going to be looking further into it. Um, so that we are better informed, so that we can let everyone know at the at the lighting ceremony itself. This is about all of our all of our local heroes. You know, on the Warrior Tree, on the Edwardsville Warrior Tree, we don't actually have names on on the stars. Instead, what we do is there's 400 stars on the tree, approximately, that were all painted by State Street School students, uh, elementary uh, grades. Uh, three to five. They're they're tearjerkers. Some of them. They'll have uh, flags and we love soldiers and thank you for your service and USA. God bless America. On these stars, uh, one had one had veteran misspelled. It was so cute. But uh, on one side of the stars, what the children painted, and on the back of the stars, we have solid colors. We have uh, red, white, blue, gold, or black. And each one, instead of representing a, a certain particular person. It represents whether they are retired or reserves, that would be the red stars, or whether they are vet- uh, they just did their four years and got out, they're veterans. Um, the white stars represent uh, those who are wounded in action. The blue stars represent service stars, represent those who are deployed in combat or overseas or active duty. And those are gold stars. They represent um, those who were killed in action. And black stars represent our POWs and MIAs. That just gives me chills. A lot of thought went into this tree. And that's a, we, we really want it to be as close because we're not military ourselves, the moms who run this tree. But we, we asked a few veterans, is this appropriate to have these colors? They, they, they loved the idea. They said it was perfect. That's how it is. And we just love the idea. It seems to work. Oh. All branches are represented. And all levels of service are also represented. Who makes up your committee? Um, that would be a bunch of us Marine moms. <laughs> Mary Harkin Reader, she's my vice president. Then I have Rachel Holsizer, she's our treasurer and co founder. And I have Diane Kalman, she's another local Marine mom. She does a lot of the community work for us. Go my ahead. husband, who's our maintenance man, basically, <laughs> he does all the heavy lifting that needs to be done. Well, what's his name? My husband's name is Seferino Ziflet. <laughs> we call him Seth for short. Yeah. And yeah. you say you yeah. do other things. What other things are you involved with aside from the uh, Edwardsville Warrior Tree? Well, we'll do a little bit of fundraising on the side. We'll have a dart tournament uh, once a year which had to be canceled this year, by the way, because of COVID. The fundraising, we'll have a basket raffle or 50-50 raffles uh, at the events that we have. All that money that we collect there, we then turn it around and donate it out to veteran, local veteran charities or veteran charities that we're aware of that do great work. We went shopping, actually, for 
for AMVETS Post 5-9, the commander, Lucius Washington, he does a lot of work with homeless veterans, collecting clothing and winter blankets and everything. We just had a blanket drive back in January this year. It was a huge success. So we actually don't have to do a blanket drive again this year so far because he's still handing out blankets that that we got from January. That's great. He, he has a basement full over at Amvet. We were just there the other day, and it's emptying pretty quickly now that the weather's starting to turn. They are looking for hygiene items right now. Soap, toothpaste, toothbrushes, deodorants, things of that nature that they want to donate. They can get in touch with Amvet Post 5-9 in, in Hanover Township. Anything um, else that you have that you're involved with? We're always looking for new things that we can do, new places we can donate to. We, we looked up, we found Valor Clinic. They're actually out in the Stroudsburg area, but they do great things for veterans, among a few other things that they do for our veterans. It's a really good program. If anyone wants to Google that, they can look it up and they'll know exactly where the money is going that they're donating. Trying to become our own nonprofit agency very cumbersome, but we're trying. Uh, give us again the rundown, the Edwardsville Warrior Tree Project. The Edwardsville Warrior Tree Project, we're having decorating day and lighting ceremony both on the same day. We're going to start decorating the tree November 22nd. Uh, that's a Sunday. We're going to start decorating the tree at 12. Then around 2 o'clock, Sergeant Santa will be arriving. And then at 2.15 or so, we'll be having uh, Black Diamond American Legion and uh, post 395 and American Legion post 655 uh, doing our military honors for us. Then about 3 o'clock we'll be ending by having a, a veteran in the audience light the tree for us. And if anybody would like to attend? Yes, they can. We're, we'll be uh, Masks will be required and uh, we'll be practicing social distancing and we will also have hand sanitizing stations for anyone who wants to come. Karen, you're awesome. And Thank so are the rest so of the moms. Absolutely. Oh, yes, they are. They're, they're, I couldn't do it without their help. I really couldn't. I, I never served myself, but I, I think my role is best uh, in supporting them. And that's what I hope I'm doing. I hope I'm doing it the proper way. Next on Special Edition Thanksgiving with Friends of the Poor. Welcome back to Special Edition. Thanksgiving is coming up, and it's going to be much different this year in many different ways for many different reasons. Two celebrations, however, will go on, albeit a little bit different, but nevertheless, they are going to get together and provide Thanksgiving for many people in our area. Megan Loftus is the CEO of the Friends of the Poor, and Linda Robeson is the chair of the Friends of the Poor Family to Family Program. Both of those programs are happening this month, and they're here to tell us how, although they might be a little bit different, they're still going on. We start with Megan Loftus. And tell us about what you have coming up. So we're getting ready to kick off our 44th annual Thanksgiving Community Program. It'll look a little bit different this year than it has the last 43, uh, because our dinner, which will still take place on Tuesday, November 24th, will be uh, takeout style. So we will have um, the meals packed at Brandon Cultural Center, and then people can drive by the corner of North Washington and Vine and pick up a takeout from our volunteers. Uh, then the next day, we'll kick off our family-to-family giveaway, which normally would be at the Cultural Center. This year, we can't do that because it still does need to be drive-through with COVID precautions. So that'll be at Scranton High School from 10 in the morning until 5.30 in the evening. 
and people will just drive through our line at Scranton High and we'll put all the makings of a Thanksgiving dinner right in their trunks. So, yes, it's going to be a little bit different this year, and that means no potato peeling party? Unfortunately, no, no potato peeling party. Um, we The restaurants and uh, businesses who typically cook for us are also taking COVID precautions, so they're just going to do all of the preparation and the cooking themselves. So everything else, though, as far as the presentation, the food that, that folks are going to get is going to be the same amazing food that they have 40 years? Really? Really. This is our 44th. It started with, you know, Sister Adrian and uh, her first dinner, I believe, was in 1976 uh, and 1986. And she, um, you know, just fed 24 people that year. And, and we've grown till 3,000 meals. And that's what you're looking for this year, 3,000. 3,000. We are, we typically have a lot of folks, um, you know, know, adults and elderly that we would bust in from, you know, different, you know, senior high rises and and places where they could not get to the dinner themselves. So for them, we have some volunteers who are bringing the the meals to them. And then we'll have 2,000 meals available to take out on the corner of North Washington and Vine. Okay. Now, when people are hearing about this, they're already excited, I'm sure. One of the other things that you always had was entertainment. Are you able to do that this year, too? Unfortunately, no. That's the thing that we're losing. And and our favorite part of the dinner is that, you know, the entertainment, the conversation, and just, you know, the being together and spending the holiday together. And that's the hard part of, you know, this pandemic in general, but specifically with the holidays coming up. So, you know, we will be handing out the dinners and I, unfortunately people will have them, you know, alone or, or in their own homes. But what we did do is get students from all of the local schools to make these beautiful handmade cards for each uh, dinner recipient. So I think that'll be a little bit of entertainment and just, you know, feeling a part of a community and knowing that somebody cares about you. I don't know. I thought I had heard somewhere along the line that there were going to be some Friends of the Poor volunteers as the dinners were being handed out were going to be singing carols on the street (laughs) corner. Is that true? Uh, I'm sure that we'll have some people willing, but I'm not a great singer, so you won't find me there. (laughs) Now, when we're talking about all of this again happening, um, a a lot of people are going to want to take part. Do they have to this year because of the different way that it's happening? Do they have to sign up, get in touch with you, register? Has any part of that changed? So those receiving the food don't have to register or anything. They just have to come, you know, the dinner uh, will be handed out from 2.30 to 5.30 on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, family to family is 10 to 5.30. Uh, but volunteers, we are asking them to reach out and sign up with us first just so we can make sure that we have enough space to distance and, and enough jobs for everybody because this is such a different format for us that we don't know what it's going to look like. But there are not 3,000 meals to hand out to um, you know, at a table and to bring drinks and to break bread and, and all of the refilling. So we don't know if we need as many people this year and we would like to have some distancing. So if they could just send us a, an email, call us, even a Facebook message first, we'd really appreciate it. And how do they get in touch with you? They can call us at 570-340-6086 or email us at friends of the poor at FOTP Now explain to us a little bit about how the pickup, I know family to family is going to be a different type of pickup and we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on, but 
from your standpoint for the dinner, how is that pickup going to work? And will that mean that there's going to be concern about um, vehicle, vehicular traffic in that area, parking, anything like that? So we are working with the Scranton police in the city to try to make sure that, you know, traffic will be okay. What we're asking people to do no earlier than two o'clock, because we will have enough meals for everyone. So don't feel like you have to get there early, um, is that they'll pull in on the, um, the 500 of North Washington where Lackawanna College has a parking lot. People will pull into that parking lot there and we'll stage the cars because that, that lot takes about, uh, you know, goes from North Washington all the way over to Vines. Very big lot. And we will stage cars there. And when we are ready to hand out, we'll have people turn down Vine going towards North uh, Wyoming. And Wyoming and, it, you know, where like Taglia's is and more of the Lackawanna College buildings. And we'll put the uh, food right in your car there. So um, we're going to have some people on traffic control and hopefully not block up too much. But uh, the, the two blocks, maybe the 500 and 400 of North Washington, and those two corresponding blocks of Vine will be a little bit congested. And you're also working with some agencies that are going to help get the food distributed to some of those who might not be able to get there? Yes. So the the individuals who we typically had bust in, you know, we have a list of the different facilities and places that they, they would come from. And Meals on Wheels and Lackawanna County Area Agency on Aging is partnering with us to help us you know, prepare the meals and make sure that they are um, kept nice and warm and that they're nutritionally balanced for senior citizens. And we will have our volunteers from the Junior League of Scranton do the deliveries to each of those facilities. So that'll probably be about a thousand meals that we wouldn't be able to do without the partnership with Meals on Wheels and Area Agency on Aging. And I know a lot of people, again, uh, who are used to volunteering might now be able to help out in another way this year. Um, but how are you taking donations? So donations this year are going to be monetary because we had to order all of the food in, in so far in advance because there were you know limitations on quantities that you could order. There was difficulty getting certain items. So all of the food has been ordered and we are just asking for monetary donations. This year is a little bit more expensive for the dinner than in years past because we could have you know had in-kind donations last year of um, the plates and the cups and the napkins and everything. But this year we have to have, you know, specific takeout containers. We have to have bags and we even have tents and heaters and things outside for the volunteers. So it's going to cost us, you know, probably closer to 25 to 30,000 for the dinner this year. And we're, and we're asking for monetary donations to help cover that. And how do people do that? They can either go on our website, which is friends of the our Facebook page, or, or if you're interested, you know, and you need um, assistance in, in mailing a check or, you know, calling in to do a donation, you can certainly call us at 570-340-6086. All right, Megan, wrap us up now as far as your portion of this is concerned and let us know the where, the when, and the how. So our dinner is Tuesday, November 24th at the Scranton Cultural Center. We'll be packing it. You can pick up on the corner of North Washington and Vine between 2.30 and 5.30 p.m. If you'd like to volunteer, please call us or to donate at 570-340-6086. Thanks as always, Megan, for that update. Now we'll bring in Linda Robeson. She's going to give us the update on the Family to Family program. Well, this year, the Family to Family Food Basket program has turned into something completely different with COVID. Um, Ryan and I, a couple of years ago, when we took over the program, 
realized that it was a Thanksgiving, Christmas, and food basket distribution. And we kind of hoped that someday we'd be able to do something in the summer because people are obviously not just hungry during the holidays. Well, be careful what you wish for. And certainly we would never wish COVID, but we've been able to accomplish that, you know, along with Friends of the Poor and several um, several different um, entities, we've been able to provide 22 emergency food basket giveaways. So our food basket program for Thanksgiving, which we do every year, is kind of a continuing that. It's going to be a drive-through format this year because, of course, we can't do anything in person. Um, so the whole structure of it is going to be a little bit different, but if people have been coming to our emergency food giveaways all along, they'll know exactly what needs to happen. Now, who is this Ryan? Oh, my son, Ryan. <laughs> Sorry, my son, Ryan. We have um, to give, he, we have to give credit where credit is due. <laughs> no, I, my son and my daughter-in-law, Mary Christine, helped me with the program. And, you know, soon my two granddaughters who are very young will be able to help us as well. So. That's a great way to get them started. Now, you mentioned the fact that it is going to be a little different, but yet kind of the same. So when is it all happening? Okay, so typically our food basket giveaway is at the Cultural Center. This year, it's going to be at Scranton High School. Like I said, it will be a drive-through format. Um, It will run from 10 until 5.30 because we realize there are still people working, so we want to make sure that they can still come in. There are 10... There are, I'm sorry, there are lights in the parking lot. So, you know, they don't have to worry about driving through because, of course, at that point, it will be dark. That's in high school. Now, what is going to be different as far as the event itself in normally you give certain things in the baskets? Is that going to change this year? No, it's not. Um, it's Everything is going to be exactly the same. I mean, we were very fortunate because I don't know if people are aware it's been hard to get food all during the COVID pandemic. Um, you know, sometimes when we would say, okay, we, because we've been feeding approximately a thousand people a week. Now we are prepared for 3000 for Thanksgiving because we typically get close to 3000 families in a normal year for Thanksgiving. So we are definitely prepared for 3000 people, but it will have the same thing, the turkey, the potatoes, you know, the stuffing, the bread, the pies, everything that they always do. And if anyone is going to be coming to this now, how do you have this set up? I I know people who have been to Scranton High School, as you said, for the um, COVID giveaways that have been happening and are continuing to happen, actually. Um, They might be familiar with it, but if someone is just going to, for the first time, go for family to family, since it is going to be different and they're used to that, what can they expect? What exactly would they see when they get there? I do have to say people will start lining up early, but you're just going to pull into the Scranton High School and we are going to have people directing traffic like right from the entrance of the high school because you will literally just, it's not even up by the high school. We're down in one of the lower parking lots. So people will drive right through um, and there will be people. Um, When they do come in, the only thing that people are going to do is they're going to ask them how many people are in their family and what their zip code is, because that's information that we need to have. But other than that, um, people will just be directing them right through the tents. When they get to the tents, we will load all. We just ask them to pop their trunk. We put all of their food in and they just pull right out in the back. So it's a very 
it's a very nice flow. You know, it just flows right through. But we don't want people to feel like they have to get there super early because we do have we do have plenty of food. Um, we are prepared. So please don't feel like you have to start coming and waiting in line for five hours because we have no idea what the weather is going to be like on that day. We're, of course, praying for good weather. But yeah, please don't be worried because we will have something for everybody. Now, when I had the opportunity to talk to Megan about the event that will be the day before your event, she was mentioning the fact that it was difficult to get food. And she also mentioned the fact that volunteers in her case are going to be a little bit different. What about volunteers for your event? Well, that is true because with COVID and the restrictions and, um, and because it's a different setup, typically we have hundreds of volunteers, but that's because we usually give a specific turkey size per family. With this, with this format, it's only going to be one size turkey, which is going to be 16 pounds. Um, so we only have like one table. So that kind of cuts down half the volunteers we need. So we do ask that you just don't show up on that day, that you either get in touch with me through... Um, the family to family um, Facebook page, or you can contact Friends of the Poor because we do kind of have to limit some of the groups, and we're not, we don't really want um, people under the age of 18 because with the traffic and everything else, it gets a little bit crazy sometimes. And the other thing that she also mentioned again in her instance, because they were doing the dinner and there would be in-kind donations. Now, you traditionally were looking for monetary donations. So I'm going to assume that that is carrying into this year as well. Yes. Yes. Because with all the emergency food giveaways, you know, we have been fundraising, but we do get some federal help and, you know, from the Weinberg Foundation. But Thanksgiving is is completely funded by people who send in their donations. So this is all food that we had to purchase. So yes, we're looking at a very large bill. And of course, because as I mentioned before, it was difficult to get some of the food. Some of it's a little bit higher price this year. You know, we had to start ordering in July because we weren't sure we were going to be able to get the quantities that we wanted. So to donate, um, we also have the text to give. So you just text THANKS to 570 Five two five five nine five six, or you can send your contribution into Family to Family, PO Box thirteen, Scranton, PA one eight five zero one, and of course, any donation makes a difference. Any amount makes a difference. All right, Linda, I'm going to give you the uh, floor, and I'm going to let you let everybody know again when this is happening, where it is happening, what time it is happening, what to expect when people get there. And again, if you can just give us those last uh, two bits of information as far as the donations, it's all yours, Linda. Well, thank you, Paula. Our Family to Family Food Basket Program is taking place on November 25th. It will be held at the Scranton High School this year from 10 until 530 we do ask volunteers who want to participate to please get in touch with us through the Family to Family Facebook page or to email Friends of the Poor. And um, if you would like to make a donation, we have the Text to Give site, which you just text thanks to 570-525-5956. You can also send donations to Family to Family, PO Box 13, Scranton, Pennsylvania, 18501. 
And we just want you to know that once you pull into Scranton High School, there will be people who will be able to direct you. Please don't be intimidated because it's a drive-through. Um, we want this to be a very easy experience for you and not in the least bit stressful. So people will just kind of guide you through the process. And again, please don't feel like you have to come first thing in the morning because we have enough food for 3,000 people. And thank you for your donations, for your volunteering, and all of your support. We really appreciate it. Thanks to Linda Robeson and Megan Loftus for giving us the update on that. And one that we haven't mentioned is the Interfaith Prayer Service. In light of the current pandemic, once again, it will be carried out in a different way. It's used to kick off the holiday programming by celebrating the gratitude, joy, and hope that are part of every faith tradition. This year, it will be held virtually, Friday, November 20th at 7 p.m. It's going to be via Zoom, and if you would like to make reservations, you can contact the Scranton Area Ministerium. Again, that's for the Interfaith Prayer Service. And once again, for the Family to Family Food Basket Program, that will be on Wednesday, November 25th at Scranton High School from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. You'll be getting your groceries placed right in your vehicles. The way that they're going to be handling the dinner that normally would take place inside the Scranton Cultural Center is they're going to be packed as takeouts and handed out outside of the Scranton Cultural Center again from 3 until 6 p.m. on Tuesday the 24th as a drive-by event. That's also in partnership with Lackawanna County Area on Aging, Meals on Wheels of Northeastern Pennsylvania. So if you need more information, all you need to do is get a hold of the folks at the Friends of the Poor in Scranton. Next on Special Edition, a book written from a young woman's own experience. Now on Special Edition, Amanda Jaworski, author of A Different Ending. Why the title? Well, I went through numerous titles, believe it or not, as I was writing the book, and it seemed writing the whole entire book was easy. Coming up with the title was, it took me weeks. (laughs) And when I finally wrote the last page of the book, I was like, a different ending is perfect because out of all the experiences, I learned that I'm in control of my ending. And of course, that there's a lot of different things that compile into how we decide to live our life and things that affect us. But ultimately, with the support that I had, it just sounded perfect. And it goes along with the story and the meaning of the things that the young woman went through. Can you give us a little bit of your story? So I was a teen mom. I had my daughter. I got pregnant at Eight or 17, and I had my daughter when I was 18. I was in a relationship as a teenager, which we should listen to our mothers. Probably not the best idea, but um, I was with somebody who I trusted, who I was friends with, who I made a relationship with, and it seemed over the years I didn't really know him like I thought I did, even though we had a 10-year friendship behind us. Um. I think when you're so young and you have the responsibility of an infant and learning how to manage bills and a house and just as an adult period, I think the stress just kind of accumulated on us. And he had different like um, mental illnesses, nothing too severe, 
But it seemed the worst of anything was the control. And that turned into argument and it turned into verbal abuse and it escalated into even bigger fights a lot of the time that ended out to be a little scary in the end. So you were able to take and draw from your own experience in order to write this book. How close is it to your experience? Um, What the woman went through as far as the abuse from the relationship is very close. And the aftermath of leaving the relationship is similar. The ending is fictional. What I did was I took from my experiences and I created a story on it. Can you give us a little bit of the book? I I mean, tell us about the characters and who's involved. Eliza is your 19-year-old girl. She's the main character of the book, and she lives with her boyfriend named Tyler. And like I said, same thing. Growing Growing up, they were friends, and they started dating. However, she realized that he was abusive, and this wasn't the right kind of relationship to be in because it could be dangerous. So not long after, Eliza kind of, reached out to a friend that she was comfortable with and he helped her leave this relationship because most times, like in real life, the main character, Eliza, hid these fights and the the abuse from her family. So she didn't really feel like she had much support. However, as she was trying to move, she was still being harassed and abused by her ex. So in the end, she was able to get away from him, and without trying to give the whole story, it seems that Tyler was at a standstill and did what he thought was best for his ending. So what made you sit down and basically relive that part of your life and then put it to paper where you would be places like this and talking about it? I feel like as I grew up, I've seen how much abuse and things that women and men go through. I mean, one out of every four women are abused in a relationship, and one out of nine men are abused in a relationship. And that's scary numbers. That's concerning. That's troubling. Mm -hmm. So when I started writing this book, I actually didn't plan on writing about this, but I've always written my entire life. And I just sat down and I was like, through everything I went through as a child and a teenager and now as an adult, I have that information and I have that reasoning. And the best thing that I know how to write about would be this young woman going through this abusive relationship, because those are the kind of feelings that you don't forget. As good as my life is and as blessed as I am now, it's still feelings that resonate with you and that you wholeheartedly can grasp and feel. They're not that hard to write about because it's such it's such a permanent experience that lives within you. When you sat down to write about this, I guess we should let our listeners know that you're actually here in northeastern Pennsylvania. Yes, I'm actually living in Scranton. So does that mean that uh, there are places that maybe you mentioned in, in, in your book that people would be able to relate to that would be able to say, oh, yeah, I drive past there every day. <laughs> well, I actually didn't use too much of the Scranton setting in the book because I didn't want to make it too personal. I didn't want to make it too much about me. I wanted to make it about this character and her experience and what she was going through. So 
unfortunately in the book there's not too many different things the city's a different setting so it's not really named after Scranton I wanted to make it her story and when you were making it her story who did you hope would find your your book honestly I just I didn't really hope for anybody I just hoped a reader who could relate and understand or maybe use this as hope would find it I didn't really think that within the few weeks that it was published that it would be as popular as it is and I'd have a TV interview and this with it this is not what I expected so quickly so now that you've you've achieved that and the book has now taken on and and people have been able to find out about it and now who are you hoping that uh, would be hearing this interview or see your TV interview and say, I'd like to be able to get a copy of that. And where would they? So as far as who I would want to hear it, I would want any avid reader, any family member who knows somebody going through domestic abuse or just anybody dealing with it or who has dealt with it. Because when you're dealing with something like that, you keep it silent and it's nice to feel that you're understood and that you could find hope and that you are worthy of a different ending. And this book is actually carried at the Albright Memorial Library located in downtown Scranton. You can find it in their catalog. I have it on Amazon Kindle, which you could just type the title in and by name, and it will come right up. And also this week, it'll be sold at Library Express, which is located in the marketplace of Steamtown, the former Steamtown Mall that's located in downtown Scranton also. Well, you certainly sound like you've been on your on your way and you use something of yourself that I think maybe has given you because you can speak to it so well. Do you have any more that you think might either go away from this particular topic or maybe stay with this topic in the in the near future? Can you give us a a little bit of a sneak peek? Um, I was told by a lot of readers and taking their feedback that they want me to kind of make a sequel from this. So I am considering it. However, since this book went like over so well, and as a mother of a daughter and a son, I do want to write other fictionals, but I do want to write them on relatable topics like on teenage pregnancy or just different things like that. I think it can really be life touching and life changing. Well, again, when you have something that you can draw from, from within yourself, I think that gives uh, anything a more personalized and a more, uh, I, I guess, uh, emotional tie that you would have with your, with your, your readers. So right. that's, it's, it sounds wonderful. What do your kids think about all this? Well, I have a nine-year-old daughter and she loves to write too. She'll be typing on the keyboard and (laughs) writing and drawing on paper, stapling them. So she thinks this is awesome. My five-year-old son, he understands I wrote a book, but I don't think I'm as cool to him yet as I am to her. (laughs) I'm hoping now that he's learning to read, he'll be like, oh, okay. But right now, I'm pretty cool to the nine-year-old about it, but the five-year-old, he's just doing his own thing. 
Well, I think with the five-year-old, you have to incorporate some of your characters as superheroes or... Uh... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, mom's still cool, but mom's not that cool yet. <laughs> Amanda, give us the title once again, where you can get the book, and we give you all our congratulations and continued success. Thank you so much. The title of this book is called A Different Ending. You could find it on Amazon. You could find it in the Albright Memorial Library if you have a library card and in their catalog. It'll be sold at Library Express, which is located in the Marketplace at Steamtown. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications.